Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I'm Thinking Out Loud edition. As Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus shares his thoughts on what the Bengals should do in free agency and the draft. And I'll give you a little teaser. His plan does not include Panay Sewell. Then after that, it's something I've done before when hosting radio shows on WLW called Storytime with Dan. As I share an anecdote from my broadcasting career, in this case, a story involving a pro football Hall of Famer who nearly caused me to freeze to death. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered. Write to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since custom-made wall calendars. For years, one of my sisters has been making personalized monthly wall calendars through the online photography company Shutterfly.com. You basically share family photos with Shutterfly, and they will make a very slick-looking wall calendar. You can do so right now for less than 20 bucks. I recently had one made that hangs in our kitchen, and we love it. So, whether you are looking for a gift idea for the grandparents or just want to showcase some of your favorite family photos, I highly recommend a custom-made wall calendar through Shutterfly.com. Now, let's get to football. These days, it seems that everybody with access to the Internet puts out a mock draft. And chances are, you already have a player that you would like to see the Bengals select number five overall. But 43 days before the draft, the official start of free agency begins. That's a little more than a month away, March 17th. And this week, I reached out to Anthony Tresh from ProFootballFocus.com, who has strong opinions on who the Bengals should sign, draft, and not draft. Anthony, you have written some interesting things about the Bengals in recent weeks, and we are going to cover some of those today, beginning with the comprehensive free agency preview that you published at the beginning of this week for all 32 NFL teams, including top target in free agency, potential cuts, team needs, and your plan of action. I'm going to begin by quoting you. You wrote, as great of a prospect as Panay Sewell is, he should not be in the Bengals' plans this offseason. So Bengals fans, I'm sure, would like you to explain why. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a popular debate between now and April. I mean, we've already had it with a lot of Bengals fans. But, you know, myself and a lot of my colleagues here at PFF view that, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, they have the cap space to attack free agency in offensive line. I mean, there's some quality offensive linemen out there that not a lot of teams can afford because the cap, the salary cap is probably going to go down around 10 to 20 million when it's usually going up 10 million. So there's a lot of teams in a bad situation with the Bengals are not one of them. They can afford these offensive linemen and they're going to get quality play right away. And then when you look at the NFL draft and where they're positioned, Penny Sewell, I mean, he's as sure as a bet as they possibly are. But you look at guys like Jamar Chase, who, you know, we believe might be the best non-quarterback prospect we've ever seen in that Chase Young type of category. I mean, from a wide receiver perspective, he's up there with Amari Cooper. Um, Julio Jones. I mean, this guy has a chance to be an elite wide receiver, number one. And when you look at the Bengals receiving unit, you know, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, they're great, but they're more complimentary pieces. I, they're Neither of them are really going to be that elite wide receiver one. 
you know, Jamar Chase has the potential to do that. Uh, Devonta Smith has the potential to do that. Jalen Waddle does too, you know, and all three of those guys are going to, one of, I mean, some form of those three will be the, available to Cincinnati at the fifth overall pick. And, you know, they really should take one of those wide receivers over Pene Sewell. I mean, when you look at the positional value, wide receiver is just far more important than offensive tackle. And, you know, like I said, Cincinnati really does have the funds to make some moves, whether it's a guy like Taylor Moton, the right tackle out of Carolina, or Joe Thune, the a guard from New England. They can make some power plays in free agency, and we think we should they should do that at offensive line and then go wide receiver in the NFL draft. We're talking to Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. Should they prioritize tackle or guard if they do dive into free agency? I think, you know, the best option out there for them that they can really afford would be Joe Thune. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of direction the New England Patriots kind of go in this this offseason just because, you know, they're kind of flirting with going into that quarterback purgatory realm. If they do go that veteran round, I think they should kind of liquidate their assets and kind of let everything go there. So, you know, I think they have the chance to kind of outbid New England and, you know, get them in an uncomfortable spot and land Joe Thune. Um, but also, like I said, Taylor Moton, he's another, you know, good option at tackle. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think there's, there's really uh, a, a priority there, but I think out of all of the offensive lines that, that's available, I think Thune, if he does hit the open market, I think that should probably be the top priority because he is far and away the best player at his respective position that'll, that'll probably be uh, available for him. So in a previous podcast, I had mentioned Brandon Scherf as a possibility at guard. In your article about free agency, you brought up Daryl Williams as a possibility at tackle. What about those guys? I would have loved to put Brandon Scherf in there, but I, I think he's more likely than not going to get paid by the Washington football team. I mean, they have a lot of cap space available to them. So I, I do think that's what's going to end up happening. The same with like Trent Williams, even though they have Jonah Williams at left tackle, he, he's probably going to get paid by San Francisco. So, I mean, we're just kind of, you know, kind of weeding out some of these guys there. Daryl Williams, I think he's kind of a less than ideal option at tackle. Um, just because of what we, you know, he was great this past season, but in the years past, not so much. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, if they can really get Taylor Moton and Joe Thune, I mean, those are the top two, you know, that's a top guard and tackle likely to hit the open market with Scherf and Trent Williams not there. So I think those would be their best case scenarios. Um, after that, you know, it would be Daryl Williams at tackle. And then when we're talking offensive guards, man, it, it gets really, really weak. Um, you know, you had Matt Filer there who has, you know, experience playing tackle and guard. But even after that, I mean, we're looking at possibly guys like Jermaine Effetti, and we all know how inconsistent he has been throughout his NFL career. So, I mean, they really should be hoping that a guy like Joe Thune hits the open market and then just throw the bag at him because he's <laughs> that's about the only quality option they really have. We're talking to Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. You also cover internal free agents in your free agency guide. The Bengals have several. The top two guys on the list are undoubtedly Will Jackson and Carl Lawson. Who should the priority be? It has to be William Jackson just because of the positional value. And, you know, I love Lawson. I, I think he's a very good pass rusher. I mean, he had, a, you know, he's almost a top 10 pass rusher actually this past year. But when you look at our, you know, wins above replacement metric, which is a very popular one in baseball and our data scientists, you know, they, they put their heads down, they grinded out this formula and they came up with it and props to them because it's one of the best things I've ever seen someone do that I worked with. Um, you know, it kind of measures positional value. We really found out some very interesting things with this. And, you know, in the case of William Jackson versus Carl Lawson this past season, both players had great years. But William Jackson generated two and a half times more wins above replacement than Carl Lawson did. 
you know, it's just all about coverage being more important than pass rush. And I think, you know, that's what they really need to prioritize here. So, when, you know, when they're looking who to resign, you know, I think they need to go after William Jackson and prioritize that over Carl Lawson. And then after, I, I think even before they look at Carl Lawson, they really need to address the slot corner just because, you know, but it's interesting just because, you know, there's a lot of available slot corners on the open market, but they're only going to get contracts, you know, annually worth about four to five, you know, million per year, even though they're one of the most valuable positions on the field. There's a lot of talented ones on the open market and they can get a pretty good one too for a very decent price. So, you know, I think those are the kind of the two avenues they need to go down before they even think about Carl Lawson as much of a, you know, a great player he is. Give us some slot corner names. First one that comes to mind, Desmond King, you know, uh, Troy Hill of the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, these guys are out there too. You know, Mackenzie Alexander, you know, he, he's not a bad option. You know, the, of the, I, I think it's somewhere around of the you know, top 11 uh, highest graded slot corners in coverage over the last two seasons. Seven of those 11 are on the open market this season. You know, Troy Hill, like I said, Desmond King, um, you know, they have Juan Williams, the San Francisco corner. To, I mean, there's going to be a lot of them available and a lot of these teams can't afford them. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers too with Mike Hilton, Cam Sutton. Hey, there's going to be a very good market for these guys. And I think they're going to be able to land a good one. It's just whether or not they kind of capitalize on the opportunity. We're talking to Anthony Tresh from Pro Football Focus. You listed as their top two priorities in your guide, offensive line and cornerback. And based on your Will Jackson versus Carl Lawson decision, I, I guess I can understand why you didn't have defensive line listed as well. To me, though, that deserves to be right up there. Can they help themselves in free agency? Yeah, I mean, they certainly can. Um, but I, I don't think it's you know a, a pressing need like offensive line and corner is for them. Um, just, uh, just like I said, because of the positional value thing with it, too. And I would even put corner and even wide receiver up there ahead of offensive line, you know, even though. Of course, the Bengals offensive line was one of the worst in the NFL last season. You know, they do have two good pieces there with Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins. You know, if they make those couple of moves in free agency like they can, you know, I think they can have a pretty good lineup set up, you know, for the 2021 season without Penny Sewell. Um, but, you know, the, the pass rush maybe needs a little bit of help, especially if they can't bring back Carl Lawson, which I, I think they're going to end up doing anyway. Um, you know, I, I still think, you know, you got to attack the most important valuable positions and then kind of fill in after the fact. And, and then attack the the less value positions, you know, and get to that kind of contention status. But I, I don't think they're quite there yet. All right, let's turn to the draft with Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. Jamar Chase is the ideal guy, in your opinion. Let's say he's gone. If he's not there at number five, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, still go wide receiver. Um, you know, and this is a very interesting debate that my, myself and our, our two other draft guys, Austin Gale and Mike Gruner, I've had with them countless times um, that they're big Jalen Waddle over Devonta Smith guys barely, but I, I think I would prefer Devonta Smith over Jalen Waddle. And I think we're just kind of splitting hairs when comparing the two It's just kind of pick your poison, which kind of guy you want there. Um, you know, with Devonta Smith, you know, I would still take him over Penny Sewell. The only concern is his size, his speed, I think is going to be fine. I think some people are a little bit too concerned about it, but you know, when looking at his comparisons from an athleticism standpoint in a, in a frame standpoint, We've never really seen a player like Devonta Smith, you know, translate to the NFL and have, you know, great success. So I think that's kind of the, the pushback on him. But, you know, when you look at him on the field and you look at the tape, I mean, he does everything in the position at an extremely high level from his route running, his, his release packages, ball skills especially. You know, he, he is going to be, in my opinion, a very good wide receiver at the NFL. And then with Jalen Waddle too, I mean, the, the guy has deep speed for days. I mean, he's going to immediately be 
a premier deep threat. And, you know, Joe Burrow could certainly use that. I mean, this past year, the, the, the deep ball was not good at all. I mean, it was one of the worst in the NFL, but at the same time, he didn't really have a lot of time to throw that off as the line didn't help him. And I think, you know, didn't really have a lot of separators downfield. I think bringing in a guy, you know, whether that's Jalen Wilde, Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase, I think any of those three could really help him take that next step forward and really kind of put him into that top 10, you know, type of quarterback that he looks like he's going to become. If they are unable to sign Taylor Moten or Darrell Williams, the top two tackles you have listed, at that point, would you take Panay Sewell? Still not taking Panay Sewell just because, wow. I mean, yeah, this is a, I mean, the Bengals are in a really good position. And, you know, the, the fact that this tackle class is so loaded is a big reason for that. I mean, I, I would have to say, I mean, this draft is kind of interesting just because I think quarterback's a very stacked position, wide receiver's a stacked position, and so is tackle. But then once you look at any other position, it gets very, very bad. But, you know, these are the positions they kind of need to address. And, you know, where they're picking in round two, there's going to be quality tackles there available to them. You know, whether it's, you know, Liam Eikenberg of Notre Dame, um, Alex Leatherwood, he's going, to, he's going to be slipping down there. Sam Cosme of Texas is available. I mean, all these guys are great options to have. And I think they can address that in round two. But the ideal scenario is, you know, kind of landing an established one in free agency that can come in right away. But even then, if they do land a guy like Moton, take Jamar Chase, a fifth overall, I still think taking a tackle in the second round is something they should do just because, you know, the offensive line was extremely bad. I think you just kind of keep swinging there. And I think you can find pretty good value there. But in round one, I still think you should take, you know, the, these elite level wide receiver prospects as a chance to really, you know, be a true elite wide receiver, number one at the next level over Penesul. We're talking to Anthony Tresh from Pro Football Focus. I highly recommend his guide to free agency that he published on Monday on the website. Another part of your team-by-team analysis is potential cuts. And for the Bengals, the the first two guys you have listed are Geno Atkins and Bobby Hart. Are they no-brainers, in your opinion, for guys to cut to create space? This is always a tough one to gauge. I, I think Bobby Hart certainly is. I mean, he, he has not been the performer that, you know, many have been hoping for. Um, I, I would say he's probably the sure, surest fire one. Geno Atkins, you know, I, I think, you know, he could still contribute at a high level, but he does have a pretty fast salary. Um, so, you know, never say never with some of these guys and what they could do. I think Giovanni Bernard and CJ Uzama, I listed in there as well, could be ones that could get looked at. Um, but, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals are sitting pretty well in cap space with around, you know, 37 projected, 37 million projected if that salary cap is around 180 million as reported. Um, you know, and for most teams, they would, they would kill to be in a position with that. So, you know, they, they could be, you know, willing to bring some of these guys back and don't feel like they have to cut them. But, I, you know, those four names are the ones that come to mind. Anthony, in addition to the free agency guide, you also recently ranked all 32 draft classes from last year and ranked the Bengals 2020 class number one. What stood out about last year's rookie class for the Bengals? Yeah, I mean, it's all about Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. I mean, that those, those two are the sole reasons why they came in with that top spot. It had, really had no one, nothing to do with uh, any, any of the other guys they drafted after that, uh, just because Joe Burrow, before he got hurt, I mean, he was looking like he would have been our rookie of the year. He was already one of the more valuable quarterbacks in the NFL. And like I said, he didn't really have the deep ball there. But you look at the stable factors, you know, from a clean pocket, what was his, you know, the negatively graded throw rate on those non-deep passes. And he was up there with some of the best in the NFL. And, you know, number number one, number two, number three in some of those categories, the most important categories at the quarterback position. Um, so, you know, you really don't typically see that from a rookie and that really generated his value. And two, I mean, you're, 
you kind of you kind of got a free pass with Joe Burrow there at number one just because he's as you know as you never have a slam dunk with the first overall pick especially at quarterback but Joe Burrow was looking like you know one of the surest picks at the first overall that we've ever really seen so we knew that he was going to you know kind of contribute and produce value above expectation like he did and then two with T Higgins I mean this was a home run pick for the Meyer I personally was not expecting him to pick T Higgins 33rd overall you know, I expect him to go down some other avenues, but I absolutely love the pick. It was probably, you know, one of my five favorite picks of the draft at the time, just because, you know, of the need at wide receiver. And, you know, I think he is going to, like I said, develop into a quality complimentary piece. I mean, I, I really do like his ball skills. I thought he improved too. You know, he, he was great at the catch point at Clemson. He got better as the year progressed and ended up, one of, you know, one of the higher graded rookie receivers in the NFL and was actually the second most valuable, you know, second round pick of the 2020 NFL draft. So, those two picks combined really produced above expectation and really, really put themselves into that number one overall spot. And, you know, kind of looking at that, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around just because they hit these two picks. But, you know, this past year, it, we really didn't see too many rookie performers have great seasons. I mean, you know, Justin Herbert and, you know, Justin Jefferson, Chase Young, they all had great years. But when you're looking at the entire draft class compared to other years, we didn't really see a high rate of rookies kind of have success in year one. And, you know, COVID obviously had an impact with that. So, you know, having those two guys for Cincinnati, T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, really exceed expectations right away, even though they did have lofty expectations to start with, really put them in that top spot. Who is the second round pick that you had ranked higher than T? Ooh, um, I think it might have been Antoine Winfield. I think it was him, if I recall correctly. I mean, he, he was another one that we thought, you know, I mentioned earlier my five favorite picks in the NFL draft. I think he was probably up there too. I, I remember writing an article about that. Um, just because, you know, we fought him as a first-round pick, and he slipped to the Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ended up being a valuable piece to him. So I, I'm pretty sure, um, I don't have the data in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Antoine Woodfield. If Burrow and Higgins were the biggest reasons why the Bengals had the number one draft class, in your opinion, did any of the other guys stand out? No, not really, unfortunately. But, I mean, there's still time, just because you look at the rookie year, and it's very, it's not very predictive of future success. I mean, we typically see for most positions the second year, it kind of you get a better understanding of what a, what kind of career a, a, a young player is going to have in the long run. So it's way too early actually to call these guys, any of these guys, you know, a bust or not a good pick, um, just because it's that pivotal year two. And you know, I think after year two is a good time to come back and reflect, you know, on that. I want to get back to Burrow for a second because by the traditional stats that we've looked at for years and years and years, passer rating, uh, yards per attempt, things like that. Joe came in 24th in passer rating, 25th in yards per attempt. Pro football focus had him graded much higher than that. And you referred to some of the stable metrics, some of the things that really project year to year to year. Can you explain that a little bit better? when looking at those stable factors, you really want to isolate quarterback performance to clean pocket uh, play. Just because when you look at, you know, performance from a clean pocket versus in a pressure pocket, you know, clean performance is way more stable year to year and pressure performance. That's way more volatile. And that's an interesting thing with uh, J uh, Justin Herbert, you know, the other quarterback that had great success, the offensive rookie of the year, just because he had a lot of success when pressure, he, he, that's not sustainable year to year. He really was not that good from a clean pocket. So I think we're going to see regression from him, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent there, but with Joe Burrow, I mean, he had the one of the lowest rates of quarterback fault incompletions from a clean pocket. I mean, the, the pinpoint accuracy that we saw at LSU, we saw routinely with the Bengals in his first 10 games. And I mean, it, the fact that he still finished 16th 
in war among quarterbacks, despite missing, you know, the second half of the season is quite remarkable. Um, so, so, I mean, I think Joe Burrow is, you know, as, as good as a, you know, rookie campaign that Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson had, I, I still think Joe Burrow is going to be the best rookie or the best player from the 2021 or 2020 NFL draft class. You know, by far, I think he's going to be a, a star quarterback in the NFL that is possibly going to hopefully lead Cincinnati to the Super Bowl. We'll see someday um, in the years to come, but I think he's the real deal and he's going to be a very special guy here for Cincinnati. I like the way you think. We're talking to Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus. You also do a lot of college analysis. You recently published your top 10 returning quarterbacks in college football. In addition to doing Bengals games, I broadcast University of Cincinnati games. You did not have my guy, Desmond Ritter, in your top 10. Explain why. Yeah, I mean, this was a tough list to make up. Um, you know, with Desmond Ritter, he obviously adds value with his mobility. The tools are off the charts. And that's what kind of, you know, when we were looking at the 2021 NFL draft before he decided to come back, you know, he was kind of getting that mid-round consideration just because he's a very potential base guy. The tools are there to become something special. But we just have not seen that from Desmond Ritter. I mean, this past year, he had a sub-70 passing grade, which was he did that too back in 2019. When you're looking at those, like I mentioned earlier, the stable factors, the clean pocket passing grade, he was just at the 24th percentile in college football this past season. The downfield, you know, accuracy was very shoddy. He had a high rate of uncatchable throws. Granted, he really didn't put the ball in harm's way with his downfield passing when he did pull the trigger down there. Um, but we just really didn't see him hit those throws at an extremely high rate like we wanted to from an accuracy standpoint. We didn't. And the negatively graded throw rate was another concern. Now, isolating those, those true dropback scenarios, taking away play actions, uh, RPO screens, quick throws, looking at throws from inside the pocket. The numbers just weren't that great for Desmond Ritter. So, you know, I, I think Cincinnati's going to have a great team next year. I think they're going to be, be one of the better group of five teams again. Um, you know, I, I love Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback. I think he's going to be a stud at the NFL level eventually one day. Um, but with Desmond Ritter, he, he did not crack the top 10. But he, he, is, he was in a conversation with some of the guys here, I will say that. So you and your colleagues at Pro Football Focus have been cranking out mock drafts about one a week. Most recently, Mike Renner has Jamar Chase going to the Bengals at number five. The week before that, Ben Lindsley, Jamar Chase going to the Bengals at number five. The week before that, Steve Palazzolo, Jamar Chase going to the Bengals at number five. It seems like the gurus that you work with are in lockstep that if he's there, that's the guy to take to reunite with Joe Burrow. We're all in agreement here, and that, that doesn't happen often at the PFF headquarters here. But, uh, you know, we, we really do think that's the best fit for them. Um, you know, it, with some of the guys you mentioned there, um, all of them besides Mike Grinner is kind of, you know, what we, we would do if we were in the shoes of the GM. But with Mike, he's kind of trying to predict. And he really does think that there's a good chance that they do reunite Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase just because looking back at that 2019 season, I mean, that was a special, very special duo. Um, you know, it, it's up there with one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos we've ever seen in the history of, the, of college football. I mean, they still hold the PFF college record for, uh, this is going back seven seasons, for the most uh, deep passing touchdowns and completions in a single year. Um, I mean, it was just kind of record shedding or record shattering across the board from both of them. I mean, it was a very elite connection in tandem. And I, in replicating that in Cincinnati, I think they have a really good chance to do so, just, you know, given the projections that we have on both guys. Your projections for Panay Sewell 
are equally high, really. I mean, the last time he played a couple of years ago at the age of 19, I think he had the highest PFF grade for an offensive tackle. This is strictly a matter of position, uh, importance, and value, basically, when you are projecting Chase over Panay Sewell, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Panay Sewell's uh, you know, player comparisons at the next level favor pretty well. Um, if I recall correctly, his pass protection numbers are kind of project him on the path of guys like David Pactiari in Trent Williams. I mean, it's go he's going to be a very good offensive tackle, but it's just all about, you know, his maximum ceiling and the value he can generate is a little bit different than what a guy like Jamar Chase can do for an offense. I mean, we do think Jamar Chase is a guy that can put, you know, the Bengals over a hump versus Penny Sewell is, you know, he's not going to be the guy that's going to add multiple wins to a team, just him alone. Jamar Chase has the, the capability of doing that. Um, so it's just a strict matter of, you know, positional value. Penny Sewell is a great, great player. He's going to be a great NFL player. If the Bengals do end up, you know, landing him, I wouldn't be, you know, too mad or upset if I were, you know, a Bengals fan that's kind of listening to PFF and listening to what they have to say. Um, but I do think the right decision at the end of the day is to take one of those three wide receiver prospects just because, I mean, they, they are three very good wide receiver prospects. And any other year, they'd be in the conversation for wide receiver one. So, I mean, I think these guys are kind of can't miss too. Um, so I, I do think because of the positional value, that that's the way you should lean. So I'm going to allow you to spend the Bengals money. You have signed Taylor Moten and Joe Tooney as free agents. You have re-signed Will Jackson. You have drafted Jamar Chase in the first round. So basically they followed your what to do blueprint for this off season. How good can the Bengals be if they execute those moves or most of those moves? I think they can be a playoff team. Maybe it's going to be tough maybe next year in year one, but I do think the year after that, I think that would put them in that, you know, the very competitive team status. I, you know, their divisions are a very interesting one just because the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't think they're going to be very good next year. Um, ben Roethlisberger is clearly declining and their, their cap situation is pretty bad um, as it is right now. But looking at the Cleveland Browns and Baltimore Ravens, I mean, these two teams, I mean, Cleveland Browns are an offensive juggernaut in the making. The Baltimore Ravens are still there. Um, so there, it's going to be a very competitive division. Um, and for that reason, I'm not so sure they would put themselves into playoff uh, contention, you know, right away in year one. But I do think, you know, the year after, they, they would definitely be up there with all this talent they have. As I mentioned at the top, you've been putting out some very interesting material about the Bengals in the entire NFL of late. I've enjoyed reading it and looking at it. Uh, anything coming up in the near future that you're working on that we can look forward to? We got all kinds of free agency stuff coming out uh, in the coming days, have our most overrated and underrated free agents. Um, be sure to check that out over at PFF.com. But the biggest thing we have is our NFL draft guide, our guy, Mike Renner, who we've mentioned a few different times. I mean, he was just absolutely grinding this thing out for the last couple of months. I think we're at 250 player profiles um, with like three or four pages of data and analysis, um, you know, and advanced scouting reports in there too. So it's only going to grow. I think he might actually end up hitting 300. I'm not sure if he's going to sleep in the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, be sure to check that out over at pff.com. It's available over there. Anthony, great stuff. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. I downloaded the Pro Football Focus Draft Guide yesterday, and it's impressive. Since the PFF guys are so high on the idea of drafting LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, here are a few nuggets about him that I found interesting. Two years ago, with Joe Burrow at quarterback, Chase caught 84 of the 121 passes thrown his way. That's 69%. But here's what's really impressive. We're not talking about screens or easy completions. 
the average distance of those passes was 14.3 yards. And furthermore, Chase averaged 8.1 yards after the catch. I have consistently been saying that if Panay Sewell is on the board at number five, he should be the Bengals' first-round pick. But I've got to admit, the gang at Pro Football Focus has me reconsidering. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for an installment of Storytime with Dan. This is something I started doing a few years ago when I hosted Sports Talk on WLW Radio, and here's the concept. I've been broadcasting in some way, shape, or form since weaving my magic on the student radio station at Syracuse University. I've had a wide variety of wonderful experiences on and off the air, and some that weren't quite as wonderful, and I'm about to share one. This week in Storytime with Dan, it's my O.J. Simpson story. Here goes. I'm guessing that for many of you, Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, Chad Johnson, or A.J. Green was your childhood sports hero, especially if you're a diehard Bengals fan. Well, I grew up a little bit south of Buffalo, and my childhood sports hero was O.J. Simpson. The first NFL game I ever attended in person was a Monday night game in 1973 between the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. That night, O.J. set an NFL record at the time for carries in a game with 39 and rushed for 157 yards. It put him over 1,000 yards for the season, and it was only week seven. That was the year that O.J. became the first runner in NFL history to top the 2,000-yard mark, and he did it in a 14-game season. In any case, O.J. Simpson was my guy. My bedroom walls were a Simpson shrine. When I was a paper boy as a kid, I ran from house to house pretending that I was the juice. And when Buffalo traded him to San Francisco for five draft picks in 1978, it might have been the saddest day of my childhood. So now, let's fast forward to adulthood and get to my O.J. Simpson story. In 1994, the final year of the Bills' run of four straight trips to the Super Bowl, I was working as a TV sports anchor at WTVH5 in Syracuse, and I covered a divisional playoff game in Buffalo between the Bills and the Raiders. It's notable because it's the coldest weather game in Bills history, and that's saying something. The temperature at kickoff was zero, and the wind chill was minus 32 Not quite the freezer bowl, but definitely bone-chilling. My TV station got three press passes for every Bills home game. One for a reporter, one for a videographer, and one for a videographer's assistant who could help with the equipment. Well, that day, the videographer's assistant was my then-girlfriend and now wife, Peg. It was legit. She did help us with the equipment, but she was mostly there to watch the game. When we got to the stadium, I told her there was no way she was going to stay outside in that minus 32 degree wind chill. So after we helped the photographer with his gear, me and Peg headed for the toasty comfort of the press box. But it was a playoff game and the press box was packed. Only people that specifically had a press box seat could get in. So being a gentleman or idiot, you make the call. I told Peg to use my pass for the warm press box 
and I would use the other pass and watch the game from the sideline. Bad move. I wasn't quite as crazy as Dave Lapham and his fellow offensive linemen going with short sleeves in the freezer bowl, but I was dressed for going on TV. I had dress shoes on, I didn't have an especially warm winter coat, and there's no way I was going to make it through four quarters in those frigid conditions. So, I went looking for a warm spot at field level where I could still follow the game, and I found one in the Bills' weight room. The heat was on, there was a little black and white TV, and there was a small group of people sitting in front of that TV. The NBC Sports pregame show crew, consisting of a few former coaches and players, including, you guessed it, my childhood hero, O.J. Simpson. Well, this was a dream come true. Not only had I found warmth and a TV, but I was about to watch an NFL playoff game basically looking over the shoulder of the guy I grew up idolizing. I was one of about three or four guys standing there, and as we watched the game, we could hear what O.J. and the other analysts were talking about. And it wasn't strictly the game. Let's just say there was some locker room talk. Well, right after he finished telling his story, O.J. noticed for the first time that there were a handful of strangers standing nearby, including yours truly. Simpson wasn't pleased, so he summoned a security guy who asked us to leave the weight room and go back out onto the field. In short, O.J. Simpson forced me to watch the rest of that game outdoors in my TV clothes with a minus 32 degree wind chill. It's obviously not the worst thing he's ever been accused of doing, but it's not exactly what you're hoping for the first time you're in the presence of your childhood hero. And that concludes this episode of Storytime with Dan. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Bengals Boot Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. Thank you.